This is Ashley Stone, and you're listening to The Comeback Podcast. I am so excited to have you on my podcast. I uh, listened to your podcast with Papa Osler many months ago, and it was so powerful to me. I think it was actually the first podcast that I listened to from Papa Osler, and it was so inspiring to me. Like, I sent it to my husband and I just, it was so amazing. And I feel like I'm meeting a celebrity interviewing you because you're just, you're so just awesome. And so funny. I do have fans in other, other States. (laughs) We've got another one here from Utah. So tell me a little bit about your, you know, childhood days with your, your first kind of experiences with the church. Did you have a testimony at an early age? Did you not what that looked like? And you know, early okay. church experience. Okay. So let, let's start. Um, so I was adopted when I was seven. My original parents were drug addicts. And so the Hills adopted me. And that was, I think I was in foster care for a year. And then my dad is like Utah Mormon, uh, like pioneer, one of the first pioneers to come across the valley with Brigham Young and like he's, he's on the statue, the heritage place, whatever it's called. Wow. This yeah. is the place. So anyway, so we're like so Mormon. So LDS or whatever you want to use these days. So of course I started going to church immediately. I wasn't excited um, about it. It just seemed like another thing I had to do that had nothing to do with getting back to my mother. Cause my mother was presence back and forth. And then when they put me in foster care, I didn't see her again after that. And so I was kind of angry already. So I'm already angry at six. Okay. <laughs> Just, it'll be a common theme as we go through. So they started taking me to church. And so a year later, uh, I was baptized and I wasn't happy about that. I actually had to be, I had to get a spanking to get me to be baptized or a beating, if you will, because my childhood revolves around a lot of traumatic abuse, sexual, physical spiritual, emotional. And so them being staunch old school Mormons and LDS, you know, so that started and I I didn't want to get baptized. I remember that I got forced into being baptized. And so we're doing, you know, we're doing the thing. At that point, I was like, I don't know if I, I I don't think I had a testimony. Um, I had a little one because I must have, because when I came back to the church, you know, 30 years later, it was, it felt like coming home. So, you know, I'm doing the things. And of course, if you don't do them, you get in trouble. Um, you know, we had to go to church every Sunday. We had to go to young women's every Wednesday or, you know, as we got older, we had to go to seminary and I actually liked seminary, but it was, everything was done by the force of the hand. You know, if we cut up during scripture study, we got whipped. And when I say whipped, I'm talking about like with the belts, you know, bare butt. So um, we were, we're there's a lot of forced and I was very, uh, very, oh, I hate it when people say, uh, I was very stubborn, willful, rebellious, marching to my own drum in a time where children did march to their own drum. You know, uh, my grandmother, my aunt lived with us and it was children to be seen and not heard. That was not my thing. I was constantly getting in trouble in church because I, I picked up quick. And so, you know, I get bored. By the time I got the young women's, I was bored. You know, I knew all the basics. And so 
I had a little smart mouth and I discovered drugs funny enough by somebody in the church. And, you know, so we would, we would smoke weed out in the amphitheater and then, you know, come in for an activity or quite often I would come up to a youth activity drunk <laughs> because I hated it. Yeah. Amazing. And you know what? Nobody cares. <laughs> it didn't care. So it's, um, and my mom was really verbally abusive. So she punched me. She, you know, like it did not matter. I was a dumb idiot. I was stupid. She wished she never adopted me. These things went on. So here's the, here's the messed up thing is I'm getting sexually abused by my father, my brother, my sister. At the same time, I'm being told, hey, you've got to value the law of chastity. Mm-hmm. What? Right. So, you know, what kind of mind screw? Are you going to beep out if I cuss? Because I have yeah, a hard time talking be, and not I cussing. I will beep it out. You're good. <laughs> okay. Okay. Because if you, if you hinder my speech, it's, it'll be hard for me to get it out. That's okay. No worries. Okay. So, and I have a bad, uh, anyway, you can't be through what I went through and not cuss. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but, so, so you get the point, you know, there was lots of abuse. There was lots of conflict about, you know, like let's get this, let's have family prayer. Let's sing when the there's beauty all around, when there's love at home. I'm like, Fuck, what love? Love? Really? Are you kidding me? So it really, really twisted my head. When I thought about getting the nerve up to say something, I couldn't because my dad was the ward clerk, which is all the clerk positions right now were used to be just one. And so my dad's office was right outside the bishop's office. My sister babysat for the bishop, my oldest sister, and she was one of the ones doing the abusing. Mm-hmm. So, you know, so here I am. I'm like, no, you know, nobody can help. I can't say anything. I'm, I'm this awful kid, this troublemaker, this mess, because I don't sit still. I, I am a smart aleck. I, you know, and classic acting out when you're being abused, you know, as we all know now that, you know, nine times out of 10, the kid's got ADHD or some abuse is happening. And I apparently was screaming it, you know, but I couldn't say it. And it's really kind of weird. And so the church got all messed up in my head, you know, with, with that. And, but the, the drug use started this cute boy. And this is funny because I'm gay. There was this cute little boy that I liked in, in church. His name was Wayne. And he was in my, he was, you know, in my Sunday school class. And he was also in the same grade. And he introduced me to pot, weed, marijuana. But anyway, and so I, you know, I did that and it was like, oh, peace, you know. And then, uh, so then, and then my brother introduced me to alcohol and, and other drugs. And because he was a drug dealer for the school. So we're all whack at this point. But <laughs> So I'm getting drunk and, and doing speed to play basketball and, you know, and all this because I'm trying to not to try to grasp what's going on. And here, here's another like mind breaker for me is I'm sitting there in church now, you know, I just start when I'm seven, you know, so I'm not used to, you know, having to hold still and just constantly get my ass kicked constantly. Um, when I got home, you know, cause it was just too much for me, but they would teach us in primary. This is the worst thing you could do to a kid, your earthly father and your heavenly father. Try to picture your heavenly father as your earthly father. I'm like, Oh, you know how long it took me to pray. Do you have any idea how long it took me to pray? I, even when I came back to the church, 
I couldn't pray. I still can't pray very well, like on my knees and stuff, you know, but I'll chit chat with God when I'm walking around or whatnot. But I mean, to, to do that to a kid when their parents, especially their fathers is, is abusing them. Who, you know, I mean, I'm surprised I didn't grow up and be agnostic or an atheist. You cannot do that to it. You're, you're, you're having father just loves you more. Well, the way my earthly father was loving me, I didn't want to have anything to do with a heavenly father. You know, and so I couldn't grip. So when you asked me if I had a testimony, I don't think so. But then I'm one who is just so obstinate. And so as time went on and we got into uh, young women's and what was happening was my mom was talking bad about me in Release Society. This is probably my saving grace, though I didn't know it at the time. There were a couple women in Release Society who, who actually asked to be teachers in young women's just so they could teach me, just so they could be in young women's with me and help me. Wow. And yeah, this woman saved my life. She saw whatever she saw. And then there was another lady. As Lisa used to tell me, she's like, you and your brother, you just look like you needed hugs. That's it. Along that way, you know, and so I'm starting to settle down and her daughter ended up being my best friend, you know, and so I get to go over there and, and take a break and they started figuring some stuff out and, and I would, you know, I would flippantly mention it, whatever. And Glenda went toe to toe with my mom one day. <laughs> she was a brave woman. Nobody went head to head with my mom. My mom was a mean, nasty, bitter woman. And she constantly wanted to punch me. Just I, my brothers and sisters were great, and I was a piece of poop, you know. Now I'm being raised by these very strict Mormon people, you know, and you feel me on this, right? And I get to 16, and I, I can I can recognize someone trying. So because they're trying, I try, you know. So I'm I'm listening in in Sunday school. I mean, in, in young women's, you know, and then I listen in Sunday school because that's another uh, adult who. Here's my mom bashing me and decides to go and see what is so horrible about me and my little brother, Larry. Larry just followed in my footsteps, but he wasn't brave enough to have that mouth I had. I mean, I had a mouth. That's what was so so upsetting and probably began to bring on the drug abuse is I was so outspoken. I'm still outspoken, you know, and I say what I mean, spiel. And I say what I mean. And, you know, if don't come to me. And, and, and ask me if you look fat in a dress, because I'm going to tell you yes, if you do. I mean, you know what I mean? Like that truthful, not being able to say no or to tell somebody what was going on in my home really did damage to my psyche also. So I start praying. I'm writing, I start writing a journal. I'm doing all the young women stuff, you know, I start praying. I'm just like, you know, okay, are you there? I mean, I, I mean, I, really, are you letting this happen? Like, you know, I struggled. And so one day I decided to be, I was just like being a smart ass. And I was like, okay, okay, I'm going to go out to the woods and I'm going to pray about the Book of Mormon. And because we had woods across the street from my house, we played in them all the time. So I think I'm funny. And so I go out in the woods and, and I, I don't know, they asked me what I was doing. I said, I'm going out in the woods. I'm going to go pray like Justice Smith. And I was being a smart ass. But I went out to the woods and I sat out there and I looked around me and I said, why not? Let's check this out. So I got on my knees and I prayed and um, yeah, the Book of Mormon was true. Yeah, I was just like, I was like, well, damn, okay. <laughs> oh, wow, how do you how do you like that? So I get up out of the woods and I'm like starting to be, I start to be a better person. I don't fight with my parents as much, you know, and because I used to scream 
I scream at the top of the steps and I would just cuss them off. I was cussing when I was five, but you know, and I'm sure that's because of the way I was brought up. But anyway, so I, you know, I, I sing in the young women's things and I'm going to seminary, and, you know, to do the scripture chase to win. I'm, I'm actually memorizing the clues and, and, and instead of just memorizing them to find the scripture, I'm like trying to figure out why that clue goes with that scripture. I'm, I start being a little bit nicer to the people younger than me. I was really mean to bit of a bully in church, really, but because um, I was just angry at the world, you know. And on top of it, I was a tomboy, so I didn't like wearing dresses. So, you know, you, there's just everything. The church didn't have a chance with me, you know. There's my mom dogging me, my dad acting like, oh, he was, everybody's like, your dad is so humble. Your dad is so gentle. Your dad is so spiritual. And I'm thinking, yeah. I and do want to I'd- ask you, um, we can come back to this later, but there was something recently that happened with the church, and I'm, I'm sure you saw it with the, the sexual abuse that happened in the church and the church's helpline. Did you see that? Yeah, yeah. I, I'm curious to know what your thoughts are on that. There was... I think that's great. Yeah. I think that's great. When I, when I did it, when I, I was getting to that part of the story, but when I finally came out and said something... You want to get to this. We'll get to this. You want to okay. hear this. We can put a pin. Because, we can put a pin in that question, but I, I think okay. that's very fitting. I that- think that's great. What my 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 case, we end up taking my dad and mom to church court. My oldest brother, who's like it was all, you know, the youngest kids are always like the brothers are heroes, you know. So he's always reading his book of Mormon. He had no idea what was going on in the house. He didn't find out until he was married and had two kids. And when he found out what was really going on, he was not okay. But we ended up, you know, uh, having a church court and my dad admitted everything and she just kept calling me a monster and a liar, you know, but the way she abused me, she didn't abuse the other children. So it's like, I always in the back of my head, oh, she knows, she knows, you know, especially the older ones are so judgmental. And especially back then, it was just insane. It was a mind blowing. My teenage years and my younger, they were mind blowing with the, with the contradiction and and I finally get up the nerve, and my friend Lisa, she's in Texas. So I go visit her, and she, I, I unload on her. She goes, I was wondering. And so she, we go tell her bishop. And his, her bishop is just ticked and just like, wow. Well, they, they swear, and I think I was 19 at the time. They swear that they're going to handle this, you know, that because this is the second time. I, I think I tried when I was 16, too, and it just, it went nothing, nothing, you know, the bit, nothing, just like, I didn't even say anything. And then I started getting I was 19 in Texas and that Bishop did, you know, went forward and, and went, I guess said something to the next, to my Bishop at home. And my parents said that I was lying and making it up because they took my car away from me because they took the car away, you know? So they would say, well, if, if I ever said anything, it was like, and, and then, so they just, they never asked me, nobody in the priesthood ever asked me. They just assumed that, you know, whatever. Okay, so finally I went to college to be to BYU, I don't because it was, you know, you have to go to school or you have to get a job. So I was like, okay, I'll go to school. So I went to college to BYU, Idaho, or Rick's College at the time, and I met a boy. This part sucks. So he was going on a mission, and I, you know, and we, we got engaged, whatever, and I thought, okay, he's safe. You know, at this point, I have no idea I'm gay. No clue whatsoever. My mom, t- <laughs> my mom told me that if I, because they all thought I'd be the first one to get married because I was always with boys. They thought I was boy crazy. And I just loved hanging out with my brothers. And I loved hanging out with dudes, you know, as a tomboy. 
and I, I had a few girlfriends, but the relationships were so intense. The friendships were so intense. I only had like one or two friends, which is actually a characteristic of BPD, which I had. I, you will find out later I have, but anyway. So uh, he, he felt safe. You know, he was very righteous and uh, he was an okay kisser. So, you know, I was like, yeah. But we decided to go on missions and I put on my papers work and I, I, you know, you have to go get a physical. So this is still heartbreaking to me to this day. So I go to get a physical and they give me a girl physical. It was painful, but in, in, at the end of the thing, the doctor informed me that I wouldn't be able to have children. Now, everybody who knows me knows that all I wanted to do from the age 11 on, I was babysitting at 11 until midnight, you know, with, with newborn. I mean, like I was the kid person of the ward. My oldest sister used to babysit and, and they would, at the age of 11, members of the ward would start calling me to babysit. And she lost her babysitting gigs and I got them all. Like I was crazy good with kids. I um, mean, it's insane, you know, and I love children and all, if you ask me and you ask me my whole life, all I wanted to be is a mother of six children. I was going to do it right. I was going to break the chain. I was going to show my dumb parents how you did children. So these to say that is the, that is the information I was told. And so Kurt goes on his mission and I, I, um, I come home. I'm in Idaho. So I come home to Georgia and I do the interviews and everything. And at that point, you know, keep in mind, I just got told I couldn't have any children. Growing up in the church, you know, I used to say to them all the time, oh, well, I want the kids, but I do I have to have the husband. And it would upset the young women. You know, they would get so mad. I'm like, well, I don't really want a husband. I just want the children, you know. So I go for my mission interview. And in that moment, when they say, is there anything that you don't feel good about, you know, whatever that's going on. And at that moment, I take my deep breath and I say, if anybody's going to listen to me, it's going to be right here, right now. I've got the state, got the bishop, you know, behind that's the state president. They're going to have to say something to him. They don't say something to him. And the state president is actually, his son was like one of the few people I liked, you know, and, and the state president, he was a really good guy, you know, and, um, he ended up actually ended up leading the, the church court later, like five years later. But um, so I tell the bishop, yeah, I've got I, yeah, I've got a few things on my mind. So I tell him I was molested by my father, you know, my entire childhood and the beatings from my mother and everything. And um, do you know what he says to me? What? It's OK. You're forgiven. I'm forgiven. He says to me, I'm forgiven. Now, I'm like, okay, you know, and I got it out. And I was like, that's good. And mind you, nothing happens from that interview. So I get on my mission and <laughs> I am telling you, girl, it is one knockdown after another. I, <laughs> the fact that I'm a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints is a freaking miracle. And then she was the one that was, she was the one that, that picked me up out of the rubble. Um, so anyway, so at this point, you know, I'm, I'm just a mess and I hate the church and, and again, these little, small, small, little tender mercies, if you will, or people doing like just this wrinkle in time of, of kindness. And, and people don't understand how important that is because all that crap and all that meanness and, and, and all that, all the stuff that happened to me and all the times I was shunned and, and, and whatnot, just as a child and, and, a, and a young adult. And three people were nice to me for five minutes, you know, basically, 
But those three things made a difference. Those are the things that kept me hanging on internally, though I didn't know it. You know, because I was, I, I tried to, the first time I tried to kill myself, I was 16. And then I tried to get on my mission, you know, and, I mean, but these, so my life is, is dotted with suicide attempts too. But he says, Sister Hill, and my back's to him. I don't have a tag on and I feel a chill just go through my spine. And he says, can we talk? And I'm like, a speechless, which is not something that happens to me very often. And he takes me into a room and he says he would like to me to release me. And that I've done more in eight months than most missionaries do in their entire mission. They're going to send me home on a medical leave. And I'm free, I freak out. One, because I could feel the spirit and I hadn't before. You know, like, like that was crazy. And second, so relieved that someone's going to let me out of this. Because President Merrill kept pushing me to, no, I'm not paying for it. The church isn't paying for it. Your father's going to pay for it. He was trying to force my dad to pay for me to go home. And I would refuse to go home. And then I discovered that I loved meth. Um, you know, you're in trouble when you end up with a drug of choice. You know, like I did alcohol. I, did, I didn't really ever like weed, but I, I did. I discovered black beauties in high school, which is speed. And then there was crank, you know, and in 2000, meth came out. <laughs> Freaking love meth. <laughs> I don't even gonna lie. <laughs> but anyway, um, I mean, I don't, you know, I don't anymore, but I'm just like, it was just like, like your brain just went, I mean, you did heroin. I mean, you know, like, yeah. You didn't have to think about anything, you know, but um, at some point, the uh, at some point, my brother, so at some point, I tried to kill myself again. I was uh, in my 20s and we're together like five years, but I, I was not, I was not nice. Anyway, so I tried to kill myself. Um, I'm in therapy and it got to be too much. And at, we got to the point where you're supposed to confront your abuser. Which like there's different stages of therapy to you know to heal. So we're at the confront your abuser stage, and I've gone through all the therapy, and that's the stage I'm at. And I'm like, and so I try to kill myself because I can't do it. Because, and this is what's messed up. I love my dad so much that I would rather kill myself than bring that to light and mess up his church membership because the church was so important to him. It was his life. And, and so I just opted to kill myself instead. Well, when that happened, my girlfriend at the time calls my oldest brother and tells him, like, she's like, you know what? Cause I never, I wouldn't say anything to my family or whatever. And I just, my youngest brother below me, my sister above me, she knew. And obviously the oldest sister knew cause she was doing abusing and the middle brother knew cause he was doing the abusing to me too. But um, all of a sudden the whole family circles, circles around me. I, Erica calls Dwayne and says, Hey, your sister needs help. You've got to help her. And so she tells him what's been going on. And he immediately takes, takes it up and says, see, and here's another little twinkling, the wrinkle of time where someone in the LDS church shows that their, and their righteousness comes shining through in a moment when I need to see it. I couldn't, I mean, I'd, I'd like to just like get a general conference and just say, look, kindness reaching out to those you think don't deserve it or those that you look down on when you look at somebody and you snarl or you're like ick or oh they're horrible that's the minute when you need to reach out to them and show them some kindness those five or six different moments in time for me saved my life and it saved my testimony and so my brother Dwayne leads the pack and 
as luck would have it, state president at the time, and he believes me. For the first time in my entire life, someone in the church that's in an authority position in the priesthood believes my story, believes what I have to say. It was beautiful. And again, and what's heartbreaking is that when I take my names off the books, it is that state president that has brings me the paperwork. And he's looking at me and he's so sweet and he was so kind. But I did not want to be a member of a church that let my mom stay a faithful member that that allowed her and all the evil things that she did to me and, and knowing that what my dad was doing to me and punishing me for it instead of telling him, you know, instead of taking care of things and this man and they just fellowship my dad. And, and that's fine. That's OK, because I didn't want them to excommunicate him. In fact, I kind of did myself harm. Because in the end, they asked me if I had anything else to say. And with tears in my eyes, I begged them not to excommunicate him. I said, look, he's a good man. He's got a good heart. What he did, and he admitted to doing it, you know. So that was good. You know, he admitted to it. Was he reported to the police ever? No. Back then, it wasn't something that was talked about or brought up. You couldn't report to the police. I want to hear how you have come back to the church after all of those experiences with how, like, I need, like, I want to hear how that. So, well, like, see, I'm telling you, what I'm telling you is these little peppers, these little wrinkles of time throughout my life. And they're, they're, they're few and far between. But they hit at certain moments. You know, my brother, at the most crucial, uncomfortable moment, he just he hadn't been married very long. He decides to go ahead. He goes through and he handles it through the church. Um, they asked me about the police. And I was like, you know, to me, that doesn't do any good. Now, if I was actively being abused, it was, you know, the police. And yes, my sister-in-law, Angie, her mother was the, was the secretary for the prophet at the time. So it got... But she found out she <laughs> so she told her mom. So it got all the way up there, you know, and that was the beginning when things started to to the church started recognizing that that is a possibility within the church. And and, you know, one bishop who I grew up with and my sister babysat, he apologized to me later. Say, there's another wrinkle in time. He comes to me and he apologizes and he's like, I just didn't know what to do. I had no idea. Your parents were swearing that you were lying because they took the car away and, and, and you were so, you acted out all the time. And I didn't, I didn't know. I didn't, I was too young. And, and he, oh, he apologized. His heart was broken. And I could see that. And again, another beautiful moment, you know, and, and so, yes, it's, it's all this crap in this day and time is for every five or six people that screw up. There's one person that that doesn't and not and but goes above and beyond that extra mile. And we asked me, how could I come back to the church? It's these people, and then the people that the Lord sent to me in Athens, Georgia. I mean, I was so filled with love, like I have never, and the Lord just kept coming at me. But I'll tell you that story. So I wrote my name off the church, off the books, and the girlfriend I was with like wanted me to do it, and I I did it. I would seriously urge anybody that's thinking about that to, to, to think so hard about that. Because again, when you do that, any bit 
of protection that you had because of your membership to the church, you lose it. And right after that, I, I no longer had a conscience. I became a meth head, a drug addict. I, I hate the church, but if you talk bad about the Mormon church, you got punched. I had a girlfriend that says, like someone was saying, they'd find out that I grew up Mormon, you know, and they'd say, oh my gosh, how many wives does your dad have? And, and I would just like, and I'd get angry. And if anybody said anything or something stupid, I lived in Georgia. So the Baptists, they hate the Mormons and they, they wrote books about the more, you know, bad things. And they would just always, and I would just, and one girlfriend, she wouldn't let it go. And I told her to, and I punched her in her face and I went, what is wrong with me? I said, I have taken my name off the books. I hate the church. I hate everybody in the church, except for my brother, Dwayne, you know, and, <laughs> and Lisa Walton. No, no, no. And even Lisa Walton, she turned on me. When she found out I was gay, I was not allowed in her home anymore. And this, yes. And this is a woman that saved my life when I was 19. She's one of my wrinkles in time. It was right after that, that I decided to write my name off, to take my name off the books. And I was probably in love with her and I didn't know it. And her husband. You know, and then I told them I was gay and um, I was going to visit them and they told me not to come. That I had too much influence over their children. This happened three more times. You know, my brothers and sisters took my nieces and nephews away from me. Too much influence. We don't want them growing up gay. How ignorant. But that was the ignorance of the LDS back then, you know, in the 80s and 90s. I reached my rock bottom finally. Mom had died and I started shooting up. I tried reaching out, tried to fix our relationship like for the last 10 years of her life, you know, and I'd send her, I'd call and she wouldn't answer the phone and, oh, every other month. Uh, and I sent her birthday presents and she did. She, we had a 10 minute conversation two days before she died. And she talked about my sister, Eileen and her grandkids. She died two days later. That was it. And I started shooting up and I was again, suicidal. Um, I'm surprised I'm alive. I have, I tried not to drive when I was high because I didn't want to kill anybody. You know what I mean? I was a very well-behaved drug addict. <laughs> I had rules. <laughs> uh, but, um, you know, and I went to get her. When I came back, my house was destroyed. You know, four hours later, my house was destroyed. And the girl was in Alabama. and But it was her and her voice. And it was crazy. And so as I laid there on the ground, my entire life, in rumbles because the house blew up. The firemen had already come and put it out and I was pulled up and I was so high. I'd been up for weeks and shooting up and, you know, I was completely lost. And I laid on that ground and I cried and I screamed and I screamed for hours, hours, for two, three hours. I lay there. Nobody called the police. Nobody, you know, and I lived in a little trailer and there was like in the house, you know, there's a trailer next to me and house across the street. Now, everybody in the neighborhood could hear me. I know they could because it took a month for my voice to come back a month. And I screamed hysterically. And as I screamed there in tears, and I thought both of my dogs were dead. Ended up being just one died. But uh, Diesel, who had been my lifelong and I'd gotten him like when I got off the streets. I was homeless when I got to Rome. The last time I tried to kill myself, someone see again, I got saved again. I was in Georgia and my whole family turned against me and I decided I'm just going to walk in front of this big rig. I say no more taking pills, no more standing in front of a gun. No, you know, no more driving yourself off the road, you know, no more trying to drown yourself, nothing. You're going to step in front of this big rig and you're going to, there's no way you'll live. And as I had to step off the curb and I don't know if this person was real or not. I mean, to this day, 
someone touches me and says, there's a hospital behind you. Why don't you go into it? I turn around and look. And there's the hospital behind me and I don't see anybody, but I go to the hospital, you know, and they, they admit me and they put me in a crisis unit and they end up in Rome homeless. So when I got myself from being homeless and diesel was my reward, I, I got in a house with a girlfriend. And so I got the dog, you know, I never had really had a dog before. So I got diesel. So at this point, diesel's like six or seven years old. He's been through all these drug benches in Rome, up and down and up and down from house to house. You know, I give somebody my food stamp card just to take care of my dog, you know, while I ran the streets. And I think that my longest relationship, my dearest friend is dead too. And I've lost everything. It's obvious. And I'm screaming, I'm crying, I'm hysterical. And in that moment, I begged the Lord to save me. Um, because I don't know what else to do, you know? And I beg him and I say, I promise I won't ever do drugs again, but please help me. Please keep me from dying because at that moment, I knew if I got up off the ground, I would go kill myself. I would, I would. I was going to kill myself. I was, I had drugs in my bra. I was going to take a big shot and just did and do it. And I knew that if I got off that ground, that's what I was going to do because I had nothing to live for anymore. I mean, and I begged the Lord to save me. And I promised I wouldn't do drugs ever again. And as I'm laying there saying that, peace comes over me. And I tell I get up and I tell my friends that I need to be I need to go to the hospital, that they need to admit me into the crisis unit. They take me around here, here. We're high as kites, you know, and and we don't know what to do or where to go. And everybody that stayed at my house, that did my drugs, that I helped with their diapers and, their, and I took care of their kids when they were too high to take, you know, I had a kid from my house with children and I had a, I had a whole backyard full of uh, toys and, and play stuff. My house is where you brought your children. If you, your husband was, you know, your boyfriend was beating you up or, or you wanted to get, you were too high and, and your kids weren't safe and you'd bring them to my house and they'd be safe. <laughs> always kids for me, always kids. <laughs> And uh, even in my worst, I made sure the children were safe. And I'm in the hospital. I'm in there like two or three days. Uh, I'm in a crisis unit. And, and obviously, I'm detoxing. And, and I'm out of my mind. I'm like, I barely even remember it. But there comes a call three days in, two or three days in, and it's from my ex-girlfriend. And she says, Diesel's alive. I can't even tell you what that meant to me. To me, that was the Lord giving me a reason to live. You know, and I didn't know it at the time, but. Diesel being his life is what made me come back to life. And I threw the biggest, huge bit. They had to let me out. I was like, you're going to have to call the police. I said, but you're going to need to let me out. And I was like, no, doctor. And I said, look, I'm fine. I said, I'm fine. And like, he asked me all the questions they have to ask somebody. And I said, and I've been in here past 72 hours. So I can release myself. And I got out of there and I ran to get my dog. And, and I got my dog. And I stayed sober. I was in Rome and I stayed sober. And, you know, nobody was like, how can you do it? And I ended up, had nowhere to go. All my friends had turned against me, except for my ex-girlfriend. She's let me stay. She had an RV or whatever, a camper. And so I stayed on the couch in the camper with my dog. I slept outside with Diesel. <laughs> I mean, I just laid on the ground. I've got pictures of me and Diesel laying, laying on the ground together because I was just so happy to have Diesel back. And in that moment, um, while I was there, Angie called me. And she, uh, I don't remember how she found out. I might have told her when I was in my out of my brain. But Angie says, hey, Dwayne just got a bonus 
check. And he said that I can use that bonus check to buy you some clothes and, you know, and things for, for you. She says, so I'm going to come down there and take you shopping. And I'm like, oh, you know, and I thought that was you know, so kind. She came to visit me a couple of times and I was so whacked out. She, she showed up in Rome a couple of times. And um, when I was like really whacked out and I, I think she knew that the, my mom's death wasn't good for me, but Anyway, she's taking me out to lunch one time. I was so high. She goes, are you high? And I'm like, so high. And uh, But she didn't judge. She didn't judge, you know. She even bought me a pack of cigarettes and let me smoke them on her back porch. And went and took and let me get some, a cup of coffee. I couldn't get it on Sunday. But we got it on Saturday and put it in the refrigerator so I could have it on Sunday. And she's like super LDS, you know. like So if she ends up not taking, she doesn't end up taking me shopping. She ends up taking me home to, to Ringgold, which is just right next to Tennessee. So what she says is, okay, so the Wizard of Oz is like my favorite, favorite. I'm obsessed, you know, grew up obsessed. I have, I even have collector cups in my house. I'm like, and so her daughters, her twin daughters, who I hadn't seen since they were babies, were doing the play, The Wizard of Oz. And she says, hey, how about if I come get you and I bring you home for the weekend? She says, I'll take you shopping here in Tennessee, you know, in Chattanooga where all the, the malls are. And she says, and you can go see the girls play, but you have to go to church with us. I was so desperate for a company and, and safety. And, and uh, my nieces doing the Wizard of Oz. And, you know, we, I love children. You know, I loved my nieces. I hadn't seen them in 15 years. but And I said, bet. And she came and got me. And bless her heart. She's like. I won't buy you a pack of cigarettes, but she gave me the money to buy a cigarette, you know, and she, she stopped on the way to let me smoke and, and everything. And I, um, I went to church and, and, and my new shorts and a hoodie. <laughs> so she made me go to church when I walked into that church. Um, it felt like coming home. It felt like coming home. And when the first hymn started, I found myself singing it without the book in my hand, just and tears cascading down my face. And I jumped out and ran outside and smoked a cigarette and walked home. But uh, <laughs> and you know what she says to me? She says, Cheryl, she goes, Elder Monson is the president prophet of the church now. And I'd always told her when I was my mission or when I was, you know, she's my sister-in-law. I said, when, when, when Elder Monson becomes prophet of the church, that's when I'll come back. And so she says to me that weekend, I've got two things to tell you. She goes, Thomas S. Monson is the prophet of the church. I went. And uh, and she says, and um, it's okay to be gay and Mormon. I'm like, you're lying, you know, you're lying and whatever. So she takes me back. You know, in that moment, I felt something. You know, I felt something, you know. But I'm still full of anger. And on top of it, I've lost everything. But I did make a commitment. And because I grew up in the church, I promised the Lord's covenant. So I sit through people smoking meth around me, having nowhere to sleep, laying on someone's floor with roaches crawling over on it. My friend that, that was with me, her boyfriend's the one that blew up my house. She gets sober and then she falls off. But I'm drinking alcohol, but I'm not doing drugs. And then I do a big fat line of cocaine, looking for a place to live. I have a disability check. I, I was on disability. And so, you know, but I'm not doing math. And that's what I promised not to do, you know. Now I'm using alcohol, but I'm not doing math. And I'm staying in this house and they're smoking meth in the living room like I don't know it, you know. And I go out there and that promise was strong, you know, in my I was angry a little bit, but I wasn't tempted. And it was sitting there. And like that promise that I made was so strong and it stuck. And so I'm looking for a place to live and I can't, and I find this cool place and it's, you know, in a garage. And then at the last minute it falls through. 
and I can't find anywhere to live and I can't find anywhere to live. And I'm like, I've got to find somewhere to live, you know? And so I start, I so I get on the computer and I'm, I'm looking for a place to live and I put in, you know, 25 mile radius. And actually it was a, it ended up, it was a 250 mile radius, but I thought it was 25, you know, and all of a sudden all these places pop up and they're $300 a month, with, including utilities. And it's a uh, $400 a month, you know, and it's these sublets for summer. And they're in Athens, Georgia, which is like 250 miles away from Rome <laughs> or whatever. You know, it's like really far away from Rome. It's like two hours away. And it's two hours away from my family. And I thought to myself, you know what? Go do this. And never in a million years it occurred to me that this is some Jesus stuff. But so I decided that for I'm going to go to Athens for 90 days. I'm going to get clean, all the way clean. I'm going to get so I can be strong, you know, and I'm going to move away from all my friends and all my family. And I'm going to just get back to health. And then I'm going to decide what I'm going to do. I'm turning 50 at the end of the summer. I'm 50 and I haven't, I've lost everything. The only thing I have is the clothes on my back and my dog. That's all I have to my name. Nothing. So I'm still not going to go to the Mormon church, but I feel God in my life. I'm okay. And I've been a member of lots of churches because I, I guess I love church. You know, I, I, I like church. I was Baptist, you know, so that's in there. And did, did I have a testimony? Not when I was aware of, you feel me? You know, like, cause you can see it, you can see it coming. It's there, 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 there. And let me tell you something, the Seventh-day Adventists, they have so much in common with the Mormon doctrine. Their stuff is deep too. You know, I loved it until I found out they were vegetarians. <laughs> But I went to the Bible study and I'm Bible study and their preacher, he was what I like, what I call bright and shiny. I, um, I can see people, uh, the pure in heart. It's a gift I got after I got baptized, but I think I've kind of always been that way, but, um, he was just so bright and shiny, their pastor, you know? And I thought, okay, he's bright and shiny. He's, he's legit. He's sincere. You know, he loves God. And, and so I joined his Bible study and, and I love this pastor Jeff. And then another lady, no, you speak up the drug addicts, take them to Bible study. That's how I got into it was one of my drug dealers went, start walking the diesel. You know, we take long walks, still smoking. And I start, I start talking to God. And we're just, you know, I'm talking and, and I feel that he's answered, you know, and I'm just, we're just, I'm just chatting to him, you know, and, and trying to get some direction and trying to know what, what to do and where to go. And, and I tell him, no Mormon church. One day, so I talked to my sister Angie, and I'm asking her if she has any friends in, in Athens. So they know people all over the United States, you know, but they don't know anybody in Athens. And I'm like, so I'm walking around, and I get on the bus, and I jump off, and I'm like, oh, man, this isn't my, you know, I got off too soon. And when the bus pulls away in front of me, the Institute for Georgia. Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And I'm like, F, you know, I'm just like, <sighs> but the bus stop is on the other side of the street, right in front of the building. So I actually have to walk across the street, you know, and as I'm walking across the street, I get mad. I go, no, I'm not, no, I'm not. So I actually walk all the way to the store because I refuse to go stand in front of the church building where the bus stop is. <laughs> like, this is how bad I hate the church, you know, and I refuse. So I walk all the way, like five miles, module or wherever all the buses be and i'm exhausted i sit down and try to figure out what bus i need to ride to get back home and and as i get up i get almost get ran over by two mormon missionaries on bikes 
<laughs> and as I get on my bus, two separate sets of missionaries get on the bus. More Mormons, Mormon stuff again. So then I get home and I need some food at the food pantry. The people that bring me the food or whatever so is a member of the LDS church, something like that. She's in my ward, but I don't know that at the time, you know, and it's like a fourth LDS thing. And I call uh, Angie and I say something to her and I go, this is crazy. And this is just crazy. And she goes, and she reminds me that it's okay to be Mormon and gay. And that hits me like a thunderbolt. I tried all these other churches, you know, and, and I remember the feeling I had when I walked into her ward building and I, I go, yeah, no, I don't think so, Angie. And as I'm walking diesel and I'm frustrated and I'm nervous and I don't know what to do, you know, and I'm there alone and Diesel's starting to act depressed. And I mean, Diesel's starting to come back to life. He's, he was very, he was very lethargic for many months. And so he's, we start wrestling on the, on the grass and stuff. And so we go take a walk. And as I'm walking and I look at the sky and I say to him, what, you want me to be Mormon again? And I kid you not, when the most soft and loud and bold, I don't know how to tell you, was this resounding yes. I heard the word yes, like the Lord himself was standing next to me. He said, yes, I do. Wow. And I stopped in my track and I said, no. I said, I was like, no, 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 no. And, and as I look, I see an old couple, and this is Georgia. And Georgia is in the summer of Georgia. And Georgia is the most humid city. Georgia is the most humid state in the United States. And it's hot and it's awful. And here's this old couple sitting on my steps. And I was brought up to respect my elders. And I'm sitting there. And I'm so angry. I'm like, I can't not open the door. They're out there in the heat, you know. And they're older couple. And I open the door and I'm like, what? And I look at them and they're so sweet looking. And I said, oh, you can come in for a minute. I said, what do you want? Why are you on my doorstep? And, um, and I'm kind of intimidated because at this point, I've been doing drugs. So I had like maybe seven teeth in my mouth, right? I'd only been off drugs for a little bit. I had been in the, on the streets for 10 years. And I look again, and because I was brought up in the church, you know what an older couple with the name Titus as president is, who they are, and what? And I went, looked at them, I said, are you the mission president and his wife? I guess the North Atlanta Georgia mission in Lithonia? They're like, oh, yes, we are. I'm like, oh, so what, you read a zone conference and the bishop told you to stop by or, or my brother or my sister-in-law called or I'm like, no, no. And I said, so you were out, you know, you had a meeting. No, no. I said, so you mean to tell me that you came all the way from the mission home, which is like two hours away and just happened to drive over to this there and knock on my door. And you know what they said? They said, yes. Oh my gosh. They said yes. I stood there stunned and angry, stunned and angry. They said, Would you please? And I I just I didn't believe them. I didn't believe them. I said, You give me your card or whatever. I didn't believe them because I knew it was Angie. So I call Angie and it wasn't Angie. And she's the only one that knew where I was in Athens. Like nobody knows where I am but Angie and Dwayne. Right? And so there's like no way. And so I said, Well, I guess, and knowing the Lord had told me yes, you know, and I'm angry and I'm like, I guess, 
Um, but it has to be women because I don't like them because, you know, I'm, I hate the priesthood. Yeah. You know, I'm hating the priesthood and I'm gay. So, you know, I'm hating men and I, you know, and I'm gay, but I really never really hated men. I just didn't like the date guys, you know, whatever. I'm not that lesbian. And I tell them it has to be two women at least, you know, and um, so, but I'm like, but no, but I mean, you know, I, they probably won't last. I probably won't even let them in the door. They must have prayed on my front porch. But <laughs> anyway, so a little while later, the bishop calls and invites me to church. Obviously, they called him, you know, there's a knock on my door. And outside are these red, and I have a picture of, of them in their red faces, but uh, are the two red faces and two of the mousiest, dowdiest, frumpiest looking girl, sisters, girls I've ever seen, plain and frumpy. So, you know, so no way. <laughs> I had a million warriors. I'm ever going to think they're cute, right? The Lord's not going to send me cute girls because I'd let cute girls in, you know? And, um, but um, just, just, just so plain and so, so Utah Mormon looking, right? You know what I mean? Just yep. that little household of prairie kind of look. And, uh, and I hope, Carissa, don't get mad. <laughs> You're beautiful now. <laughs> I'm saying that because she'll listen to this podcast. So <laughs> I don't want her to get her feelings hurt. But she knows. Anyway, so um, I opened it up and what do you want? And they're like, well, the Bindians sent us and said that, and you know, and they're just like trembling. They will, they would tell you yourself, their cells, uh, they were trembling. And I opened the door, let them in, because you know, it's their faces are flushed. They're on bikes. They were on bikes, and they weren't even in my ward. And in Georgia, the wards are like 20 miles or, or long, you know what I'm saying? Bike five or six miles to get to me, you know. And so I let them in. You know, we, we talked for a minute, and I'm just not happy. I let them know I this is not what I want to do, but I'm doing it, you know, because I can't get out of my mind that yes, I can't get it out of my mind, you know. And so I am the angriest, pissed off, and I am gay, and I've got a girlfriend. I I, I wouldn't got me a girlfriend after he told me I had to go to church. So they're shaking, and they're just like, and they say, well. What do we need to do? I said, you need thick skin and you better be praying. I said, you better get on your knees and you better come back with thick, thick skin. And I said, and, and I was like, and don't bring me no lessons. Don't bring me the missionary lessons. You come with the spirit. You got to teach me by the spirit. And I said, and I'll know. <laughs> I said, so don't, don't try and do that. You know? And I said, and you better pray before you walk in my door. Um, <laughs> they said they were so scared. <laughs> they were shaking and they were so nervous that I didn't want to come back and they were scared to death, you know, and, uh, but they came back and I let them in and they're like, their lessons were five minutes long sometimes. Like they'd say something and I would, and I would feel what they, you know, like I, I knew they were teaching about us, you know, cause, cause I could feel it like these little zings and I would get upset and I would go, okay, that's, that's good. All right. You can say a prayer and go. And I'd kick them out in five minutes. And then, and then there were some times when they would come and, and I was, I was kind of like, like they challenged me to listen to a talk or whatever. And I'm like, I don't want to, I didn't want them to play videos because I'm like, that's not how you teach. Don't teach me with videos, you know, because that's lame teaching. I was like up on them. I'm like, you come prepared and you teach, you know, and, and you can't use videos. They said, okay, but will you watch this video? You know? And so I found myself watching a video that they had asked me to watch. And so when they came back, and this is what's cool, they come back 
And Carissa, Sister Taylor told me, she's like, one time we were in the car and we were getting ready to get out and we knew that we had prepared the wrong lesson. And so we had to pray, stop and pray and ask the Lord what, what, what you needed to hear that day. And they came in and what had happened is I had read ahead. Like I had listened to that, listened to that talk. And so I followed the other links and read this, you know, the scriptures that went with it and whatnot. And, and so what they had prepared was a follow-up on that video. And I had already done all that. And so they had to come back in and they were like telling me that they were in the car and they didn't think I'd believe them and that they had a lesson prepared. They needed a few minutes to, to prepare something, you know, to, to figure out what. And I said, well, what are you going to do? They said, we're just going to flip through our scriptures until we know what the Lord wants us to teach you. And they're like, we don't understand, though. And I said, I started laughing. I said, because what you were about to teach me, I already, I already, I already read on my own. And they're like, and so it was like, it was funny, you know. And But I'm still mad. Like, you know, I'm still angry at them, you know. And, I, and they finally get me at church. And I go to church, and I and it's Mother's Day, the least, my least favorite day of the month. Yep. And I'm angry because I didn't want to be there. And it's Mother's Day and I'm there and I'm still smoking and I can't leave because I got a ride and and I just pissed. And they're having a dinner thing and, and I'm just angry. And there's a lady that it looks like she comes from the same world I do. It's a black, uh, black lady. And she looks like she doesn't want to be there either. I'm like, ooh. So I go sit next to her, you know, and we're talking and I how the missionaries, uh, she's meeting with the boy missionaries in our war. And I'm meeting, I have my own set of missionaries and we're talking and whatever. And I'm, you know, and getting to know each other. And I hear a baby crying, you know, and I look around and I see a baby on the stage, unattended, maybe five, six months old crying. And I look around and nobody's paying attention to this baby, you know, and, and I forget that it's been 30 years and that I look like a recovery, like a drug addict and a, and a criminal. You know, but my instinct, I'm at church and my, my inner instinct is just, just go get the baby and pick her up, you know, and I do, I go looking the way I'm looking, scary as hell, mad as hell. And I go pick up this baby off the stage and I pick her up and I bring her back to the table with me. I put her on my leg, you know, and she stops crying. I'm just playing with her and not even conscious how this must look to anybody else, you know, and the mother is in the least society presidency. They all see me pick up her baby. She starts to freak out and her husband walks up and he happens to be the gospel principles teacher, <laughs> right? And, uh, which is where all the, the uh, converts go to, for class. And, and he looks at her and he looks at me and he looks at their baby, Julia. And he says, let it be, don't do anything. And she's, and this is, you know, she's freaking out. She's like, this stranger just picked up my baby. She's got her. And, and Will says to his wife, he says, but Julia's not crying. And she's holding her. And he, and he said, the spirit told him to just, just trust us. And I held the baby for a little while and she stopped crying. And, and then I looked for the mom and I saw Stephanie go over towards there. And I said, oh, is she yours? I was like, she was crying and, and I didn't see anybody around. And I just, you know, I just picked her up and she said, thank you. And she told me, they told me later that, um, that's the will and Stephanie in my podcast, by the way, yeah. the one I, yeah, yeah I that's, that's, that's them, the people that changed my life. Yeah. And, um, so, and it just went from there. Um, the, the Lord did so many things. He, I, I got a blessing from will, um, 
I told the girls, don't ask me to be baptized. I'll be baptized when I'm ready to be baptized. And as, as the months progressed and I still angry and I didn't want to be there, but I kept going and, and progressing. And one day I decided that I didn't want to drink coffee anymore. They challenged me to, to, to the word of wisdom and I accepted it, you know, and I, so I said, okay, you know, coffee is the first thing I started when I left the church. And from coffee, I went to cigarettes. And from cigarettes, I went to alcohol. Alcohol, I went to drugs. And so I thought, it's a good idea. Still dating this girl. And they bring up the law of chastity next. So I'm telling the girl, and she's a Christian, about, you know, I'm taking the lessons and this and that. And and, and then I tell her that I, I probably want to be baptized. And she freaks all the way out and shows her true colors. I'm so glad I didn't. Because at this point, I'm like back and forth. This girl was a good friend of Sherry, um, one of my exes. This is Sherry was the love of my life. And um, I was probably the most unlovable convert that ever stepped into the church. But I wasn't really a convert. But they all thought I was because everybody actually thought I had been excommunicated. Oh, and uh, I, that pissed me off. And that set the date back further. And and I, you know, I was, I was a, and I, I went back and forth for the last, uh, I've only been solid for about two years. And when I passed over the Utah state line, I decided that it would be sacrilege to smoke. Like, cause every time I get upset or, or stressed out or some emotional mess would happen, or I'd have to take another milestone. I'd freak out and relapse, not on out drugs, but on coffee and cigarettes. And I would be, or every time I wanted to rebel or every time I got mad, you know, at the Lord, because I'm gay and it was too hard. And in Athens, I wanted to kill myself. And the, um, at some point while I was still in Rome, I was laying I felt completely apart. Uh, there was a moment when the righteousness, the you know, like an angel represented, and then the devil represented me. And in that moment, when I was in Rome and I was in the laundromat, and I had to decide, and like it was the, it was the lieutenant from the gang uh, that blew that destroyed my house. I was hanging out with gangs in Rome. I was like Gma, what they call Gma, and I was um, the mom to all the gang. And it was like three or four different gangs that would come and. And they'd be safe in my house and I'd wash their clothes and they'd rest and I'd feed them and I'd put them back out on the street, you know, and they called me Gma. And this boy who had put a flag in my house that was for protection, like no one's supposed to mess with me, not any of the gangs, you know, he walks into the laundromat and I sense this evil. And I had been sober two weeks at this point. I mean, I couldn't even figure out how to work a washing machine. And he comes in. And I'm falling apart and I'm like, please, is there anybody in Rome that is not doing drugs that can come help me? Because I can't, I just, I ceased to function. I was frozen. And in that moment, Stevie, who was in the hospital and his wife was having triplets, he had gotten clean, moved to South Carolina, got married and was having triplets. And he was a worst case scenario of any drug addict I've ever seen. He was like at the very bottom of, he was a mess. And he called me and says, are you okay? And in that moment, I felt spiritual warfare. And I didn't know what it meant. I didn't know what it, any of it meant. And I, I was on my knees in the middle of the family dollar parking lot. And I had hit my knees. And Steve, Steve had broken up. He said, I'm here for you. And he was having three babies. He was in the hospital. His wife was in labor having babies. Oh and he calls me. And there was no way that could have been from the Lord. You know, there's no way that couldn't have been from the right side, you know, of the, the Jesus side. And Reddy was from the, the devil side. And 
And in that moment, I knew that I was supposed to make a decision that I had to choose right then. Was I going to be on the Lord's side or was I going to be on the Satan side? Because if I did, if I went back to that side, I would never come back out. I knew that in that moment. I knew it and on my knees in the parking lot. And I wasn't, Mormonism had nothing to do with it. I, it was just, you've got to pick it in my knees, in the parking lot. And then I fell on my face. And as I cried, I said, I pick you. I picked the Lord. I picked Jesus. I was crying and, and nobody was around me. It was just me and the Lord and the devil and Satan. And I said, I'll pick Jesus. I picked the Lord. I picked the spiritual side and I got up and I walked back into the laundromat and I did my laundry. There is always a moment, even when you're not in the church, even when, you know, like I have been aware over the last five, six years that Satan and Jesus, the Lord have been fighting for my soul. It is an ongoing battle. And in that moment, I felt the strength of both. Like they both wanted me so bad and I didn't know why. And I have no idea why, you know, I'm like, what is so big? What's the big deal? Why are they fighting? You know, and it happened three more times. I, I met a girl. Your and again, and flashing through your mind. Yes. Flashing through my mind just before a moment of intimacy. And again, it's like, there's this, there's uh, what's it called? Spiritual warfare. Yep. Over and over again. And now I'm in Utah, you know, it's like, I know that we from other other states think that Utah's the Mormon Mecca. And, you know, I, re- I grew up like the feeling that, you know, my dad was from Utah. And I loved my dad's family. They were like some of the best times and the easiest times of my childhood are here in Utah. We're in Utah. And, of course, some of the worst memories were in Utah because of my mission. But just the minute I, I felt safe the minute I crossed the border, the minute I crossed the state line, I knew I wouldn't smoke ever again. I knew I wouldn't drink again. I knew I wouldn't be drugged. And I knew I would be a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And I needed to be a out loud member. And it wasn't about gay. It was, I mean, yes, I'm gay and I'm celibate five years running and said, I'm going to quit the church. I didn't, don't go to church for a week or, but then one of those idiots from Athens, you know, my friends from Athens will call up and, okay, when last time you've been to church, are you reading your scripture, you know, or deciding to come to Utah? That's, that was huge too. I mean, that was all Lord directed. And since I've been here, it was like the Lord filled me up in Athens. He gave me so much love and so many friends and so much direction. And, and he, I had to make that choice and everybody has to make that choice, you know, and my choice was be alone and I or choose the gospel or don't be alone and don't choose the gospel. And very, and confirmation so strong that you could feel his presence in the room. When I was told, if you choose the gospel, you will be alone. I will not let you, I will never let you be alone, but you won't have a partner. And I chose the gospel. And in that moment, and after that moment, I never understood what tenfold meant. You know, you hear people say in the church growing up, like, oh, he blessed you tenfold. And I thought that was just like, yeah, okay, whatever is tenfold. When I chose the gospel and the Lord told me I wouldn't be alone, I tenfold tenfold there are the people i i have too many friends <laughs> there are too many you know i mean like i i have to hide in my apartment sometimes <laughs> and the lord blessed me with tenfold i 
there are times when I feel, you know, I feel alone. Like I can't do, I can't go to church by myself one more time. You know, I, I grocery shop by myself. I do this by myself. I do this by myself. But the thing is, is that that's my fault. You know, I, I, he's put so many people in my life that all I got to do is say, I'm lonely. I feel lonely or, and I've got a dinner invitation or I have a friend in Provo and like some of my friends are here in Utah that were from Georgia. There's like five families. <laughs> like, wow. They all live in Utah now, right? I'm like, you know, it's just like the Lord has got me so hard because I chose the gospel. It's not about being gay or not. I mean, the fact that I'm alone and, and living this life, you know, is my choice. It's not my choice to be gay, but it's my choice to choose the gospel. And he has not let me be alone. He said, I wouldn't be your friend. I thought he was like this old fat perverted guy in the world. You know, it's just like, I wouldn't talk to him. And he's like this really cool young guy, you know, with a really beautiful wife. But it's okay. Cause you know what some of these members do? They take me out on dates. Like they used to say, okay. And they'd send their wives to take me to the movies and their wives would pay, you know, the, the husband would pay for the, the meal and the movie, you know, and he'd go, okay, you need to go take it. Time to take Caroline on date. And sometimes the boys will do it too. But it was just so cute because- they would have their wives take me on a date. And I'd go, okay, I'm taking on a Cheryl date. And one time, she was the Relief Society president. And this is how wonderful the members can be. You've got to put yourself out there. You know, you've got to, you you know, I mean, like I said, I'm lonely. You know, what I miss is going out on dates. And you know what they, those people did? They sent their wives to take me out on dates. So amazing. No, and they called them dates. And this lady, she was the Relief Society president, right? And, um, she walks into Relief Society and she says, I had my first lesbian date last night. <laughs> and she tells the whole Relief Society that she went out on a date. <laughs> and that's what I'm talking about. That's that amazing. kind of boldness, that kind of support. Yeah. You know, and, and, and I promise you, there were five or six ladies. You could hear them visibly grown and they wouldn't even look at me like, and, and I'm a drug addict and a criminal and, and a, and a homo. And, and it wasn't just the gay thing. You know, you get shunned for all those things, you know, um, I'm single, you know, I'm in every group, any spot that you have that someone that they get shunned by the church, by members who are snooty patootie or who aren't living the Christ love thy neighbor, love everybody. So I was going to get shunned no matter what. You know, right. but the thing is that for every every handful of ads in the church, the the one or two or, or the three. Now the Lord sent me tenfold, but here in Utah I have a handful. But the thing is, is that for every one of them, they make up for it. Yep. You know, I mean, they make up for it. I've got Matthew. I have been so hesitant about joining the LGBT LDS stuff, the North Star stuff. And I couldn't get anybody to go with me. And I wanted to go to the meet and greet. And I was terrified because as bold and, and outgoing as I am, I have, I'm still, I still have all the rejection. And so I'm still scared. And my friend, Matthew, straight as the day is long, goofy as heck, he's the one that goes with me. And I put it down on the church website, you know, would someone please go with me? You know, does anybody want to go with me? Is anybody, nobody would. Matthew goes he's so cute he's so funny and he goes and he supports me and he's my best advocate and he's so bold about it and he will he will hug me in front of like we were on the stand together and it was like a testimony meeting and I was, it was a one about music he gets up on that stand and he's just there and he holds me and kisses me 
and like like holds me and kisses my head through the whole time until it's uh, my turn to bear my testimony in front of the entire church. Like I love this woman, lesbian, drug addict, whatever you know, and and single. And his wife is sitting in the congregation with a smile on her face, just like these two idiots, you know. But um, but that's what I'm saying. You have to yep. just go above and beyond, and people. People who've left the church, they, they might come back. You know, I mean, we all at some point knew it was true. There's a little testimony in everybody because we wouldn't be so pissed at the church if we didn't have a testimony, if we didn't get disappointed. Yeah. Those who are atheists, those who are anti-Mormon, those who are the angriest are the ones that had the testimony. And they're the ones that got hurt. And they're the ones that got offended. And it is our job as Valiant Saturday Saints. It's our job. And let me tell you, I'm always, I'm, I was not a touchy-feely person, but the Lord put so much love in me. He had so many people love me and crazy love, like love that you just doesn't even make sense. People that, that befriended me that, you, not, I mean, I turned this rich, snooty ward into the most non-judgmental, loving people. And if there's ever another gay person that ever makes the presence in, in Athens second ward, they are going to get the heck loved out of them. And it was like one of the most least likely wards that you would think, you know, one of those Richie rich wards where everybody tends to be, and I don't mean to generalize and I'm sorry, but it just seems to be, you know, the people that aren't used to like the poor, broken drug addict. I mean, I was coming in smelling like smoke. I was cussing. I was like mean. Um, and they loved me anyway. And they kept on and kept on and kept on. And I pushed them away and I cuss at them and they would chase me down the street. I mean, I'll be driving away. Will chase me down the street. Come on, Cheryl. Tell me why you don't want to go to church. You know, pregnant women knocking on my door. Hey, children sending me messages. You better get your butt to church. <laughs> Just like they would not let go. And that is so important. Without them, I wouldn't have made it back. How I came back to church. You've got to give him a chance to get his people, the ones that that are the people, you know, because even they were surprised. One friend, she's a busy, busy lady. She's a young women's president. She's busy. She's got kids going to college, kids coming home from, and she's in everything, and she's just super busy. And I was going to therapy, and I didn't have a car, so I didn't have a ride. And then all of a sudden, for like two months, Barb had an open schedule every Thursday. She took me up and forth, back and forth, an hour and a half up and back, one way. And she would take me. And she's like, I don't have any idea. She's like, but I have nothing to do for like two, for the next three months, you know. And each month would come and she's like, um, I can still take you. And then she took me until all of a sudden somebody else was able to take me. And then somebody gave me a car, you know. <laughs> Amazing. I came back because the Lord wanted me to. And so that I can help others come back. Yep. The Lord made sure that I got all the love that I didn't get when I was younger. Yep. That's so beautiful. Is there any last thought that you have as we're closing to, you just want to pass on to maybe somebody that is had a bad experience in the church? What advice or counsel would you give to somebody that maybe had a similar experience and is struggling to have a relationship with the church? If somebody comes at you and they come with you light and love, you know, not everybody in the church is bad. 
In fact, there are so many good people that I'd say, let them try, give them a chance. Your brother, your sister, somebody, anybody, listen to one person and be open about your pain. Vulnerability is a strength. Me being weak, me being what I call weak, me being a baby, me being soft, all those things that I have fought my entire life not to be. Those moments of vulnerability that I allowed myself to, to express, even though they came in anger, is what opened the doors for those to, to love me. So if you're angry at the church, if you're pissed off because brother so-and-so did this or sister so-and-so did this, let me just say, when judge, the judgment day comes, I don't want to be the one standing next to the Lord and saying, I quit you because Sister Smith hurt my feelings. That's what keeps me from getting offended. There are people that love, they love, they love you. They will love you, but they can't love you if they don't know there's something wrong with you. So rage against, get mad. You're, you're missing sister shows up. You say, you know what? I can't stand the church because blah, 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 blah. By saying that, that gives her an opportunity to help you heal. You cannot be happy being this angry. The anger that we hold for the church when we're angry at the church, that doesn't feel good. So what my advice is open your mouth and talk. Open your mouth and tell people what your particular problem is. And I don't think you have to be nice about it. I wasn't. Yep. I hit the bishop. I punched him. Any dude that came near me, I'm like, get away from me. And I slug him. Well, they took that as a love tap. And it ended up being a love tap. I mean, it ended up being that these men surrounded me with love. And they started hitting me back. I mean, it's just, you've got to open your mouth and tell people why you're mad. The Lord helps you, helps others through, through others, right? The Lord can't help fix you if you don't tell people what's wrong. That is the biggest rock of contention is just being angry and only focusing on the, um, the offensive. Yep. I could be bitter and angry. I could be. I've got every reason to be bitter. It has been such a blessing having Cheryl on the podcast. Cheryl is such a light and um, I I want to be her granddaughter. She is so amazing. Um, but I, I just feel truly blessed to hear her testimony and for her to be able to share all of her experiences with us. And Cheryl, you were amazing. Thank you so much. I also want to give a shout out to Lauren Rose. She has been a tremendous help on this podcast and I, I couldn't do it without her. Hey guys, first off, I want to give you a heartfelt thank you to all of you that support the podcast. We wouldn't be able to get this message out without all of your help, so thank you so much. I've had a few questions come in from people that aren't on social media, so I just wanted to let you guys know that we do have a website. It's www.comebackpodcast.org. You can find all of our episodes here. Um, there's a list of our book club selections, and you can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. Thanks again. We love you guys so much.